Good morning. This is Northern Light for Wednesday, June 21st. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. The Olympic Regional Development Authority has seen an explosion in state funding over the last five years. NPR's Brian Mann joins us to talk about his investigation in the latest issue of Adirondack Life magazine. How will this all be sustained? How will this infrastructure be paid for? And the big takeaway from ORDA, from ORDA officials, is they have no plan for how this will be sustainable. The State Assembly is considering a bill to use federal money to provide health coverage for immigrants. More from Karen DeWitt coming up. And a new season and a new poem. We'll catch up with Vermont poet David Cruz, who will share a poem for summer. You know, this poem actually is for some more of the bird lovers out there. Although, you know, one of the threads, of course, the ecology in the work is this idea that, you know, bird species are struggling very much, right? All of that is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Mountain Orthotic and Prosthetic Services, a full-service practice committed to providing care for patients of all ages with offices in Lake Placid, Plattsburgh, and Malone. Details and referrals at mountainonp.com. And by St. Lawrence Health, offering my care a way for patients to access health information and stay connected to their care team. Registration is available at stlawrencehealthsystem.org. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Since the triumph of the 1980 Winter Games in Lake Placid, the state agency that's come to oversee all that Olympic infrastructure has had a relatively low profile. For years, the Olympic Regional Development Authority had a budget of 5 to $10 million a year. But a little over five years ago, under the Andrew Cuomo administration, Orta's budget exploded, bringing in 100 to $150 million a year from Albany. It began an ambitious plan to renovate and expand on the 1980 Olympic venues. NPR's Brian Mann, longtime reporter for North Country Public Radio, and his son, Nicholas Mann, have been investigating Orta's dramatic transformation. In the latest issue of Adirondack Life magazine, they dig into New York's massive, risky investment of taxpayer money into winter sports and tourism, mostly in Lake Placid. Brian talked about their findings with David Summerstein. We're talking about this organization going in a very few years from having about $250 million worth of assets to having suddenly half a billion dollars worth of assets to manage and take care of. And and I guess the big takeaways that we found is that a lot of these investments were going into, are going into venues that are very unlikely to ever generate a lot of revenues. There are things like ski jumps and biathlon courses uh, and, and bobsled tracks. Um, and so one of the real questions that we asked and we could not get a clear answer to is how will this all be sustained? How will this infrastructure be paid for? And the big takeaway from ORDA, from ORDA officials, is they have no plan 
for how this will be sustainable. In fact, what they contemplate right now is that taxpayers will have to keep shelling out a lot more money. Uh, right now, out through 2027, um, they are expecting 100 to $150 million a year going forward uh, you know, to keep building and to keep sustaining the infrastructure they now have. We've been reporting and we've been hearing about all of these projects as they've kind of come online and been, you know, refurbished some, you know, very gleamingly like the gondolas on the uh, on the ski jumps and Mount Van Hovenberg. And, you know, one of the thing that ties it all together is, you know, winter sports, as you said. And one thing you talk about in your article is how risky a bet that is, given climate change and given that this may be a warmer place where those sports maybe can't even be practiced not too long from now. Yeah, and, and it's really not a maybe uh, situation. It's a will be. I mean, we know uh, climate change is real. We know uh, North Country winters are already eroding. And one of the things that we found in our reporting is that there have been years that show us what this looks like. You know, 2016 was a year when it rained more than it snowed and Orda's revenues plummeted. And so, you know, and that was when Orda was a much smaller operation and they already needed a pretty big bailout from Albany just to survive and to keep going. And so one of the questions we asked Orda is, what's the plan? What happens if you have a year again like 2016, which is is likely? And then what happens if you have two or three of those winters back to back in this new world that we're moving into? And, and we could not find a plan for that. Orta is doing things like installing better snow guns, better snow and ice making equipment, and that that could really help. But as they acknowledge, you know, once temperatures rise to the point where it's raining rather than snowing, it just becomes really hard to you know make these venues work. One of the things that really surprised me in your reporting was just how bad uh, how bad the situation was not that long ago, like in 2016. When Orta actually had to get a bailout from money that came from New York City's subway trains. Yeah, that's right. There was this kind of quiet bailout that the Cuomo administration engineered nearly $5 million just to help Orta pay its salaries and to pay its bills. There were a lot of debts that were racked up. And, you know, one of the things, David, that we came away with was we could not see that there were major changes in how Orta manages its funds or creates rainy day, you know, money in, in case of problems. Um, there was there were actually two very damning reports, audits of Orta by the controller's office uh, that called for fundamental accounting changes, and we couldn't find that any of that had occurred. The only thing that we could really document that it occurred is that the Cuomo administration and then the Hochul administration said, you know, we'll just give you a lot more money. And and it's often hard even now to identify where that money is going. A lot of times the state legislature is giving this organization tens of millions of dollars without any kind of detailed list of what the money will be spent on or where it will go or what the long-term sustainability plan is. So that was one of the things that we really hoped this article would get people talking about. And and one thing that I'll mention, David, that, that was particularly troubling is that a lot of those problems that we've seen in the past that, that really did raise questions about the future of Orta 
We saw those repeated during the World University Games that happened last winter. You know, when this project that was talked about for years, that hundreds of millions of dollars were spent to create, attendance turned out to be really low and ticket sales amounted to only about $700,000 worth of revenue. And because of Orda's management, None of that money even went back to Orta. They ended up doing all of this without gaining any revenue at all. And these are exactly the kind of management issues that the controller and other critics have said they need to sort out. So that event that was supposed to be kind of a coming out party for this new, shinier version of Orta really just heightened a lot of these questions. Brian, when you were working uh, with North, with us here at North Country Public Radio, um, one of the stories that you focused on a lot was... Um, this whole notion of uh, people being concerned that, you know, North Country taxes are going down to support New York City or decisions are being made in Albany. Um, how does this, sh- re- your reporting on Orta here, how does that shape this narrative? Well, I think one of the things that we've tried to report over the years is that that whole idea that you just framed is largely a myth. I mean, the North Country's economy is shaped dramatically by government spending. Orta is just one example of that. There are state prisons and lots of other state-funded organizations up here driven by tax dollars. And overwhelmingly, those tax dollars come from taxpayers in other parts of the state, in New York City, in the lower Hudson Valley, places where people earn bigger paychecks and pay a lot more taxes. And and this, again, is an area that we really wanted to spark a conversation. You know, does it make sense for taxpayers all over New York State uh, to be spending 100 to $150 million a year on a winter sports authority, mostly in Lake Placid, an area where, you know, if you kind of scoop up all the people, has, you know, 20,000 residents. Um, you know, that's that's a kind of a cost-benefit question that, you know, I, I think there's a really interesting conversation to be had there. Since you read, wrote this article, uh, the head of Orda, who you talked a lot about uh, in the article, Mike Pratt, has stepped down. You know, what does that say about um, the authority going forward? I think there are going to be real questions about the next chapter of leadership. You know, one of the things that happened at the May meeting is that the board of directors approved $38 million in more projects. They also approved a a much bigger request to Albany for more money. They boosted by another $20 million a year how much they'll be asking for in taxpayer subsidies and capital spending. Um, And so the juggernaut of spending, that's locked in right now. And the question is, who's going to lead this organization? Who's going to shape how all of this spending, you know, sort of lands and and frames the organization for the future? Um, And and I think another thing that we're really going to be looking for as we report more on Orda is, you know, will the leadership begin to frame some kind of plan that says, here's the long-term picture. Here's how much we think we'll need year on year from Albany to be sustainable and survive. And and one thing, David, just let me mention a, a thing that I think could really press the next leadership, the next CEO of, of Orta to think quickly about this, is that one thing I heard a lot from people inside Orta, the big fear, is that another big state budget crunch could really cause the legislature 
and the administration in Albany to pull back quickly, right? And right now we're already starting to see rumblings about big state budget deficits that could run into the billions of dollars going forward in Albany. And so if that happens, we could see very quickly, um, you know, lawmakers saying, you guys are going to have to do, make do with a lot less. And, and as, as we looked at these numbers, that's going to be very, very difficult for Orta to do. That's NPR's Brian Mann speaking with David Summerstein. He and Nicholas Mann's reporting on the Olympic Regional Development Authority is in the latest issue of Adirondack Life magazine. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 8.13. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Just ahead, Vermont poet David Cruz shares a poem for summer and a new poetry project about a river that connects New York, Vermont, and Massachusetts. That conversation in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. Music by Eddie Lawrence out of Moira. And you can check out more of Eddie's music anytime on our website. He's part of the Underscore Project. Listen again on ncpr.org slash underscore. is supported by Ford Dealer Presentation, helping to educate and recreate historical ventures of interest to the St. Lawrence region, fort1749.org. And by Blue Seed Studio, Saranac Lake, promoting community involvement in the arts on the web at blucstudios.org. Senator from New York, Kirsten Gillibrand, was in Watertown yesterday to talk about broadband access and rural economic development. Gillibrand met with local leaders at the Watertown YW, uh, YMCA. She's promoting her $50 billion Rebuild Rural America Act, which would invest in schools, hospitals, and small businesses. The North Country is set to get more than $14 million to expand Internet access, which Gillibrand highlighted at her stop in Jefferson County. The money will fund nearly 350 miles of broadband fiber in upstate New York. The Big Dairy Cooperative, Agrimark, has finished renovating the McAdam Cheese Factory in Chateaugay. According to the Adirondack Daily Enterprise, construction to expand the plant started in 2021 and cost around $30 million to complete. The McAdam family is originally from Hubleton and began making cheese at the Chateaugay plant in 1950. In 2006, they merged with Agrimark, a leading cooperative in the Northeast, which owns also owns Cabot Creamery. Updates to the plant include a new cheese production room. McAdam expects to add close to 500 jobs to the local dairy industry. 
The state DMV is releasing a new North Country license plate. According to the Watertown Daily Times, it's part of a new series of plates that feature all 10 regions of New York State. The North Country design is a picture of a sailboat on the St. Lawrence River floating in front of the Thousand Islands Bridge. All of the regional license plate designs will be made available for sale during the month of June on the DMV website. The State Assembly is back in Albany for a brief two-day session. Their plan is to finish debating bills they didn't complete before the scheduled end of session earlier this month. Karen DeWitt brings us a look at what is and isn't getting done. Announce the results. Eyes 91, nose 46. The bill is passed. Assembly Democrats approved a criminal justice measure already passed in the state Senate. It would allow people who are wrongfully convicted to see their convictions vacated, even if they accepted a plea bargain where they pled guilty to the crime. It would also apply to those convicted under laws that were later found to be unconstitutional or if the crime they were convicted of was later decriminalized. In a statement, Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty says it would allow those who are wrongfully convicted to seek justice. Opponents include the state's District Attorneys Association and Republican lawmakers who are in the minority party in the legislature. GLP Assemblyman John McGowan says there are already existing procedures to allow people to challenge a conviction. This bill is too broad And really, I think the people who are going to like this bill the most are probably criminal appellate attorneys. The measure next goes to Governor Kathy Hochul. The governor does not usually like to say in advance whether or not she would sign or veto a bill. But Hochul, speaking Tuesday, did weigh in on a measure that the Assembly has been considering known as coverage for all. It would access $2 billion in funds from the federal government to help pay for health care coverage for undocumented immigrants. Supporters rallied outside the assembly chamber. Leslie Moran with the New York Health Plan Association, which represents the state's managed care plans and supports the bill, says it's the next step toward the goal of getting every New Yorker covered by health insurance. She says then they can seek treatment before they are so sick that they have to go to the emergency room. It takes them out of an expensive setting like an emergency room and the hospitals where they're getting care at the wrong time. They're getting it after they've already been sick. We want people to get preventive care. We want them to get primary care, and this helps do that. Moran says it would also help lower costs for the health insurance industry, including premiums for existing policyholders. Governor Hochul previously said that the state would have to contribute an additional $11 billion over the next few years to pay for the coverage. She says that's not feasible at a time when the state is facing an increasingly high budget deficit. I also have to be cognizant of the extraordinary cost that would be imposed on New York state taxpayers at a time when the warnings about our finances are troubling. And we saw a reduction of $6 billion in the month of March from our normal tax receipts. The governor's budget division released its updated financial plan earlier in June. It showed that future deficit projections have nearly doubled since the governor introduced her spending plan in early February. It's now expected to be over $9 billion next year. The assembly planned to finish up work later on Wednesday. Supporters of coverage for all say they aren't giving up. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt.
You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up in just a minute, when the Hoosick River inspires poetry and regional connections. That conversation in just a moment. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note. A look at the positive impact of nature and conservation on people who are incarcerated. That's just ahead at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. It's the summer solstice. We've got summer-like conditions across our region today. Highs, uh, upper 70s, low 80s, light winds out of the east, sunshine, uh, clear skies tonight, a little around 50, and then tomorrow, uh, partly to mostly sunny. Thursday's highs in the mid-80s for much of the region, and then chance of rain on Saturday and Sunday with highs, upper 70s, low 80s. Right now, we have sunshine, 67 degrees here in Canton. Summer is the season for spending time outdoors. And for Vermont poet David Cruz, it's also a time to make connections with the land and other artists. Cruz lives and works on a vegetable farm in Shaftesbury, Vermont, where he also relishes time in the woods, climbing mountains, hiking along rivers, and exploring regional history. Next month, he'll collaborate with percussionist Daniel O'Connor at a music and poetry along the river event on August 24th at the Spruces in Williamstown, Massachusetts. They'll be joined by about 20 other artists using words and sounds to honor the Hoosick River Watershed. It's sponsored by the Hoosick River Watershed Association. The Hoosick is a 73-mile-long tributary of the Hudson that connects New York to Vermont and Massachusetts. As part of a series of seasonal conversations about poetry, I spoke with David Cruz about his poems and their connections to mountains, wilderness, history, and waterways. And as part of a series about, of poems about the Hoosick, David Cruz says he's been studying the idea of ecotones, both literally and metaphorically. Ecotone tones are places of transitions between habitats or ecological communities. What's really interesting where I'm living in southern Vermont is when you look at the ancestral lands of indigenous people who have lived here, it's literally probably right where, based on the the, the conic mountains and the green mountains, the geology had created perhaps a natural boundary between these two indigenous peoples and and, and their tribes and where they lived. Interestingly enough, uh, one thing that I was researching and finding out was that along the Hoosick River here in New York, uh, it sounds like there have been stories that it might have been a meeting place for actually more than just um, two tribes, but but actually three tribes, the Haudenosaunee, the Mohawk peoples, right? Their boundaries would have pushed south and east at times. And then, of course, uh, the Mohikoniok, the Mohican peoples along the Hudson River Valley. And then Western Abenaki populated the Berkshires, and, and they still do, um, you know, the Southern Green Mountains. The tribal headquarters of the Mohikoniok is down in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. So, um, there's a confluence here of people who've lived here for thousands of years. The other interesting thing is that I got a map, Todd, from the Hoosick River Watershed Association. And wouldn't you know it, Todd, that where I am in Shaftesbury on this farm, I'm literally on the boundary of the watershed, which kind of blew my mind when I saw that. So the poem I'm actually working on for the project is, if I were to leave the back gate of the farm field where I live and hike up the mountain behind the house here, which is um, Green Mountain National Forest, 
I would be climbing West Mountain, which I do often more in the wintertime. At the summit, it's about 2,400 feet above sea level. And if I were to traverse the other side of the ridge and start going down the west side of West Mountain, I would actually enter the Hoosick River watershed at that point. And so I'm literally living on the ecotone, so to speak, of the watershed, right? Which is, I didn't even know until getting involved in this project. Well, and I think you even said at one point that that the project found you. Oh, yeah. You know, (laughs) Todd, I kind of feel a lot of life lately has felt that way, but maybe I could give a shout out real quick to uh, Wes and Andrea, who run a really cool record shop in North Adams, Massachusetts. Um, It's called Bell Tower Records. They are wonderful people, and they run uh, live shows out of the shop there. They're actually the ones who shared this project with me. So, you know, shout out to Wes and Andrea for for sending this over and, and, you know, getting me involved, so to speak. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what you want to share in terms of the, the poem and where it's going to take you this summer. You've got some events where you're going to be sharing uh, some of these other poems you've heard. There's North Corridor, there's East Corridor. Uh, let's let's hear the backstory and the poetry. The poem that I'm writing for this summer, uh, like you said, is North Corridor. Because if you look at this watershed map, I'm literally living at almost the northernmost point of the watershed. And the Hoosick River starts just to the east on the shoulder of Greylock at a place called Cheshire Reservoir. The river flows north, then it snakes uh, northwest through Vermont into New York, and then eventually bends west, southwest, around Hoosick Falls and heads to the Hudson. So the poem I wrote this summer, like you said, was was titled North Corridor. But what I was going to read for you today was the second poem in the sequence, which I wrote titled East Corridor. And that was kind of worked on in the last couple of weeks based on a hike that um, I went up into the Glastonbury Wilderness, up Bald Mountain. And, um, you know, this poem actually is for some more of the bird lovers out there. Although... You know, one of the threads, of course, the ecology in the work is this idea that, you know, bird species are struggling very much, right? There's actually a voice that comes in here at one point, uh, which is a conversation I've, I had with, um, the guy I work for at the farm, uh, who's a wonderful man. Uh, he's a friend. He's also, you know, um, someone I work, work for and with. And he's a huge, huge bird lover. And, and he was talking about how. People in the bird community, they know that species are not coming back and and bird numbers are dropping. Like they sense it from year to year, which is kind of sad. So um, that's kind of a little bit of the the larger thread for this poem. So here's uh, East Corridor. Deep in the Glastonbury wilderness, feeding streams to the Wallum sack, networked like veins or synapse fire from the source, the roots of great red oak, or what I imagine them to be. My trust only goes to certain depths, the map tells me. An unidentified bird song throws tight little spirals into the far reaches of hemlock forest, more a product of an ecosystem than a poem, so close to the edge of truth and beauty. And to move north alongside the AT Ridge in late May, is to be chasing warblers at the tail end of mud season, moss season. 
I step from rock to rock, a whisper in the woods, so light, streams flute away to their circadian rhythms. On the trail to Bald Mountain, a sitting rock, at the meeting point of deciduous conifer forests, a meditation spot on eco tones and life. There, miles ago, when I truly felt alone, before this chorus of rattle, scree, and jive, sweet, sweet zoo, Blackburnian, pine, myrtle, flies thick and heavy in feel. They are dying, he once said to me. You know, each year there are fewer and fewer. They don't come back. Here at the highest point around is to visit too with ravens. Their calls will alert bedrock, the West Ridge Trail to the fire tower on Glastonbury, chart the high elevations that scape the eastern boundary of the watershed. And even in late spring, it already feels dry. And these birds, these trees, what will happen to the rivers we know? I think that's one of the I think it's one of the more powerful poems you've you've written, David. I mean, I'm just thinking of the the layers in there of history and natural history mm. and the environment and the human connections and mm. the word choice and wow, it's really cool. Oh. That's my uh, hearing it for the first time. That's my takeaway is yeah, just that the, the layers of of all the connections in that piece. Thank you, yeah. Todd. And and it's great too, because you kind of know my work, right? We've been yeah. talking for so many years now. Yeah. Thanks. Really cool. Oh, thanks, Todd. As part of a series of seasonal conversations about